chapter 10. I've heard many uh, very uh, complimentary comments concerning the marriage seminars uh, that Pastor Johnson uh, had with uh, many couples in the church and uh, very good reports. A man came up this morning and said, uh, how long does it take for this to start working? (laughs) So uh, we're on the right track. the film this morning that was shown in the in the adult Bible class was an excellent film on marriage, and I want to uh, continue on that theme from Mark chapter 10 and uh, minister from this passage of Scripture. There's a, uh, a dream or a fantasy that people have concerning uh, marriage, and that is that uh, they, they have the dream that they're going to be married happily ever after. And this is kind of an illusion that they enter into ignorantly uh, uh, with the wrong concept. They have the idea that a Prince Charming is going to uh, come through and grab Cinderella. They're going to ride off into the sunset, and uh, they're going to live happily ever after. And so while God's goal has as its fulfillment this morning uh, happiness, uh, many do and many don't. And so I want to minister to... Uh, all levels of the relationship this morning. The issue, actually, this morning is not whether you're happily married. Uh, some are happily married now. Some are happily married later. Some never happily married. But the issue this morning is the will of God. And I know that's, uh, that, that's like speaking in tongues to this generation because you're so indoctrinated uh, with uh, movies and TV and with novels and with ladies' magazines that uh, this runs counterclockwise to what your opinion is that marriage ought to be. So we want to look at uh, the Word of God this morning. I want to minister on happily married, or if not, happily ever after, from the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter uh, uh, 10, I believe it is, chapter 10 and verses uh, 2, if you want to begin with me there. Mark chapter 10, verse 2. The Pharisees came and asked Jesus, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, testing him? He answered, And said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer... Two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. In the house, his disciples also asked him again about the same matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a man divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. I want to ponder for a moment the tragic erosion that is in our society. You, uh, if you follow... Uh, the media at all, you are aware that Donald Trump and Marla Maples finally uh, tied the knot, and uh, we're told that the reason they did that is they finally got the contract right. So here is Donald Trump. He's a multimillionaire, and uh, he's, uh, he's dumped uh, what's-her-face, and uh, he's taken up with Marla, and so uh, they've been living together for a good while, and uh, there's a baby involved. It's about time they did something about it. So, uh, when anybody has a baby, why, they're long overdue for marriage. Can you say amen? 
But here is a description of what's wrong with our generation, is that they see marriage in business terms, and so the issue either is a contract or a covenant, and there's a vast difference between the two. Donald and Marla finally got a contract and that they were both in agreement with, and so they decided they were going to make it legal. And so they are entering into marriage with the idea that this is a contract, and they see marriage is in business terms. And so the issue there is that if you're in a contract, it can be voided if both parties consent. And a covenant is totally different. And a covenant means it's unconditional. And this, eve, uh, this morning as we look into our text, God framed marriage in a covenant. Look at the words he says, They too shall be one flesh. And so as they begin to enter the discussion, and uh, we're not going to exhaust uh, all that's here, we're not even going to touch on uh, most of what's here, but the Pharisees are trying to find Jesus in a contradiction in his teaching so they can discredit him. And as they come to him and begin to ask him questions, he takes them back to the beginning. And as they take him back to the beginning, uh, they demonstrate for you and I see to this morning that marriage and divorce is a timeless argument. I was on, uh, what is it, KQNA, which uh, probably has a, a, an audience here locally of about 350 people. But anyway, I was on it this last week. <laughs> And uh, there was a caller that called in, and uh, the, uh, the, uh, the host would not allow the question to be asked because it was irrelevant. But the question that was asked was, uh, and he didn't enter into that or allow me to answer it, says, can a person be divorced and still go to heaven? And so this lets us understand that the issue is not dead today. It is very much alive. It is foremost in people's minds when they consider time and eternity. And so here we have Jesus as he speaks to the Pharisees that have asked him this question. He takes them back to the beginning. And as he takes them back to the beginning, he speaks these words, They too shall be one flesh. Now prophecy says that in the last days, we're going to have a rash of this, and this is in the prophecy of Second Timothy 3, verse 3. says, In the last days perilous times will come. Men will be truce-breakers. And this is the same word that's used in Romans 1, 31, and it's translated there, covenant-breakers. And so we begin to see that this is going to be a consideration, and this is going to multiply and become far more serious in the last days. And so in the climate that we have as we see the tragic erosion of the understanding of the Word of God and the understanding of God's uh, uh, teaching and responsibility. Divorce seems very attractive to some people, and it appears uh, as an option to many others. As a matter of fact, the rate is nearing, as Mr. Dobson said in the film this morning, 50%. And so there's a, there's a carnal reasoning that comes, uh, and if we're not careful, we begin to enter into this carnal reasoning. One of the uh, major uh, reasons for divorce for the last two decades probably has been incompatibility. And I, I got Webster's Dictionary. I was uh, kind of curious. as actually, what is the technical definition of com uh, compatibility? And uh, I was astonished. It said, capable of existing or operating together in harmony, capable of cross-fertilizing, free of uh, uniting uh, vegetatively, 
being or relating to a system in which uh, color television broadcasts may be received in black and white on receivers without special modification, capable of forming a homogeneous mixture that neither separates nor is altered by chemical interaction. So that's interesting, and compatibility is really an interesting term to uh, to because you, uh, you you talk to people and say, well, what is your problem? We're incompatible. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that he doesn't agree with everything you want, or you don't agree with everything? What is it? You mean uh, there's not a homogenous or a vegetative mixing, or uh, uh, does this have to do with black and white or color? Te- what just exactly? What is the basis for this incompatibility? Compatibility. See, surely this morning, as we examine the issue, we need to look back at the words of Jesus, and we need to understand that we don't enter into this relationship with a carnal mind or with human reasoning. Uh, I, I've talked to people, and they said, surely God wants me happy. Or God wants me to be fulfilled. He doesn't want me to be unhappy. He doesn't want me to be unfulfilled. And so immediately we begin to see what the problem is. There's been a shift, and that shift is to self-gratification. That shift is to what we call happiness. It has nothing to do with God's Word. It has nothing to do with God's will. But the shift has been that we now have entered into the marriage relationship, and we view marriage as an emotional experience rather than an experience based and formed upon the will and the Word of God, now we've entered this emotionally. And so as we begin to understand that, we need to understand that when somebody made the marriage vows and they said, for better or for worse, uh, we uh, need to understand this morning these are very wise words because there's going to be a whole lot of better and a whole lot of worse in the whole relationship. So let's ponder for a moment the need to examine this from an eternal perspective. This is the now generation. Large percentage of people that claim to be Christian, they claim to love God, they claim to obey God, they claim to know God, do not enter life at all in an eternal perspective. They are now oriented. Their entire interpretation of life has to do with the perspective of what's happening now. Their whole view of life is viewed in the present tense. They go to church. They uh, profess to believe the Bible. They profess that they are, are servants of God. They profess uh, that this is their orientation and this is their perspective. When in fact, uh, when they start uh, interpreting life and they start to work it out in the arena of life itself, their view is not an eternal view at all. It's a view that's brought down into the present tense, uh, and that's how they interpret all of life. They say something like, if I'm not receiving all the gratification, all the fulfillment of my desires, if I'm not having all my wishes fulfilled, this is grounds for a termination of this relationship, and either they, they will either terminate the relationship or they'll spend years in self-pity, years in bitterness, they'll spend years in anger, and or years in revenge. They'll stay in the relationship, but they'll make sure that whoever they're joined to is going to pay for this relationship. Now, the whole Bible this morning is aimed at an eternal perspective. And as we begin to understand that God is the architect of marriage, we need to understand that He has an eternal view of this. 
And uh, we know that in the book of Hebrews, the prophet says uh, that in the last days, uh, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. How many of you ever read that in Hebrews 12, 29? That has a whole new interpretation this morning in the light of L.A., doesn't it? Because here's the view... As we begin to ponder on that, uh, because the Scripture says that this uh, this is going to multiply in the last days, uh, one of the signs is going to be earthquakes. Uh, but Hebrews twelve twenty nine brings it into a spiritual perspective and a moral perspective, and says uh, not only that, uh, but there's going to be every single thing that can be shaken is going to be shaken, and this is going to happen in the last days. So it's. Imp- It's apparent this morning as we begin to ponder the words of the Lord Jesus and we begin to interpret it from God's Word that God had a great deal more in view in in marriage than personal gratification. See, the average person enters into life regardless of whether it is church, whether it is marriage, whether it is their job, whether it is where they live, or the call of God, or their obedience to the Word of God. They interpret entirely on the basis of personal gratification. Now, they'll give it spiritual terms, of course. I believe God spoke to me in this, uh, or I believe this is the will of God, or it seems to me that I must have uh, uh, missed God, or they'll put it in spiritual terms. But actually, when it comes down to the nitty-gritty, there's a vast amount of people who interpret life uh, totally in the now perspective, and it's interpreted in personal gratification, and this has to do with marriage also. Mark 10, 6 through 8, Jesus said, From the beginning of the creation... God made them male and female, and he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother, and he shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. And this tremendous statement that is made, God has joined together. So we see now that there's something more in view than personal gratification or our own personal fulfillment. We see that God is the architect, and as God is the architect, He has shaped and formed that the marriage relationship is to be something that is eternal as a spiritual perspective. And when it says God has joined together, this is a profound statement that goes beyond the surface gratification, uh, and we need to examine that for a few minutes. Marriage this morning is the workshop out of which we develop character. Here as we begin to look and ponder, we begin to understand that moral fiber is formed in the character in the marriage relationship. Here in this text, we begin to see that there's more involved in this arena than simply sexual gratification and offspring. You see, we're becoming dangerously close to the, uh, to the philosophy of Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler had the idea that sex was uh, for pleasure and uh, it was for producing a superior offspring. And as he embraced that philosophy and he put it into his government, it began to have uh, the, uh, the baby mills uh, and it began to eradicate many other things. Uh, but I want to tell you that this morning our society is dangerously close to the philosophy that we despised about Adolf Hitler because he had the idea that it was simply for sexual gratification and it was to produce offspring. Jesus carries it a bit further, 
And he says concerning this same uh, 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 circumstance that if a man looks at a woman to lust after her, he has committed adultery already with her in, in his heart. And so this is a profound statement, and we're not going to elaborate totally on that, but we are going to say that what he was saying was that there's something happening in a spiritual realm that goes beyond the physical that is a violation of what God has intended man to be, and this is especially true in the marriage relationship. Now, he spoke that to emphasize that the aim in marriage is to form a moral fiber in the context of marriage. And so marriage this morning is the arena for the shaping and the forming of character. Here in the marriage relationship, there's a shaping and a forming of character that is not accomplished any other place, but it's accomplished in the arena of marriage, in the circumstance of marriage. And so as we begin to examine that, we begin to understand that here we are forced into an arena of unselfishness. We're forced into an arena of unselfishness. The moment you say, I do, you did. The moment you take that step, you are forced into an arena where you will be forced to, to come to grips with the subject of unselfishness because it is impossible to be married and, to, and not to have to deal with your own selfishness. It's impossible. You cannot be married without having to deal with your own unselfishness, which is what causes most of the problem. How many of you know that most of us are selfish? Anybody honest in here this morning? Most of us are, unself, uh, are selfish. When I, when I marry a couple, uh, I, in, in, in the counseling that I give them, I say to them, and the, many times the first words I utter to them are, uh, now I want you to understand that uh, uh, what you're entering into are two selfish people under one roof. And you're going to have to deal with that. Because that's going to be your major conflict. And the moment you enter into the marriage relationship, you then, in that moment, you've stepped into an arena and you're forced by that very arena to have to deal with your own selfishness because you no longer can, uh, uh, can uh, live out uh, your own selfish uh, uh, desires. This is why the older people get be, uh, before they get married, the, the more difficult it becomes for them to get married. It's because they become... Ooh, boy, I felt that one bouncing off the walls. Amen. We've got a few bachelors and some old maids in here. So, the older you get, the more difficult it becomes for you to get married because you become super critical about every facet of life and you wouldn't mind being married and having someone else as a partner for life as long as you could live it on your own terms. But you see, you can't be married or stay married on your own terms. You might as well say men. You see, what we have here is you stepped into an, into an arena and that arena de demands a surrender of your selfishness and this is an institution this morning that demands the moment you enter into it responsible behavior. Demands responsible behavior. There's a law that's been proposed, I believe it's in the, in the middle somewhere in, in Arizona, that will force every woman, listen to me, to name the father of her baby. The reason that society wants that as a law 
is because we are a society that is rapidly producing an illegitimate society. And society has become to, has begun to become of the realization that unless they're able to stop that and are able to make fathers responsible for the children they produce, that we're in a cesspool we'll never get out of. The evidence is overwhelming this morning that fatherless homes are the root of violence, crime, and the breakdown of society. There's a tremendous article was written. This article was written by a, name, a man named Charles Murray. This appeared in the Wall Street Journal. I may have mentioned this in a men's discipleship class, I think. And uh, a recent article in the U.S. News and World Report, another one this last week, names this report that Charles Murray gave, and, and I'll cite the essence of what he was saying. And there was no less than three editorials in one U.S. News and World Report referring to this article by Charles Murray. Here's the essence of it. 1965, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who's a liberal senator from New York, analyzing the welfare problem in the United States of America, said that a major problem was on the horizon. That major problem was that there were illegitimacy in rampant proportions and decided that among the black people of America, that illegitimacy rate was 26%. He said, we are going to produce now a criminal underclass. He was uh, uh, ridiculed. He was assaulted. He was discredited. This was, uh, this was uh, every uh, ethnic interest group in America began to assail this man. And uh, this was Daniel Patrick Moynihan, senator from New York in 1965. The illegitimacy rate now in the black section of our society is 68%. Murray picks this up, brings it into the now. Listen carefully to what I'm saying. He says, the illegitimacy rate now among the white society is 22%. When that rate reaches 26%, this man, not a preacher, this man has no axe to grind with anyone. He is simply looking at the evidence, and he says when it reaches 26%, you can kiss America goodbye. Because we will not be able to stop the total disintegration of society because now we will begin producing on a large scale a white criminal underclass which will join and we will not be able to survive the assault upon our society. We see what we're dealing with this morning has to do with the issue that Jesus has stated in the Bible. God intended that children be the product of a man and a woman who are married. He intended that those children should be raised under the authority of the home. I'll, I'll just I'll do a little takeoff. We have we have some major problems in, in our society, and uh, this is not in my sermon, but I'll just name them here. There, there are about five major problems. One of these major problems is illegitimacy in our society. That rewards illegitimacy, that if a girl has an illegitimate child, she's immediately put on the welfare roll and rewarded. 
The second is that that has produced a fatherless home, and that fatherless home raises children who are not brought under any kind of discipline, and the welfare system supports that. The third problem that we have is a society that, under the guise of child abuse, now has entered in with governmental authority and has said to the parents, you cannot raise these children the way they need to be raised. We are the ultimate authority. You're not the ultimate authority. Are you still with me? And another is, uh, has to do with the business and environmentals, which is, I'll take a salt at Al Gore one of these days and read that. Second Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, the Bible is very plain, and that plainness of the Bible says that in this life, we are in circumstances and situation which are to work out our character, and that character is worked out in the relationship in the, in the arena of the home and the marriage. And so understanding that, now we come into the issue of God's plan for marriage and that God desires a godly seed and divorce breaks that chain. Malachi 2.15, the Bible says, but did God not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks a godly seed or a godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. And 1 Corinthians 7.14 says, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. God intended that in the marriage relationship, two selfish people enter into that arena, and the fiber of moral character would be formed in that home, not only in the discipline of uh, living together and the surrender of selfish desire, but also uh, that children be raised up and they be trained in that same environment that they too might have character formed. And God says His desire is a godly seed. Now there's a call here in this scripture for determination. Need to be honest right at this point. Most marriages fail because there's a failure of the will. They just don't want to do it anymore. You can you can give all the excuses. You can say, "Well, he doesn't pick up his socks, or she doesn't do the dishes, or or you." I, I've heard all the excuses. I think, but they don't wash. When it when it gets right down to the nitty gritty, the real real problem is they just don't want to do it anymore. And I, I would love to be able to uh, get people into counseling, and I, I and I don't. I'm I'm tactful and generally very uh, gracious, and I weave and bob and and chuck and jive and punch and jab, and then finally get to the issue. But I would love to be able to sit down with a couple and say, "All right, be honest. You want this marriage to work? Answer yes or no." Just leave all the all the gorilla dust out. Just yes or no. Do you you want it to marry, you want it to work or do you want it to not? And so when you when you do you want this marriage to work? Yes, but well, never mind the but. Let's get back to the issue. It's just the buts that it causes the problem here. Yes, I want the marriage to work, but you, pastor, but you, uh, but see the real issue when you want to when you scrape all the verbiage aside. The real issue they just don't want to do it anymore. That becomes the real issue. 
And that brings us back to the Bible because the Bible is very clear and it says that divorce is not the will of God. What God has joined, let not man put asunder. Someone made a tremendous quote, says, The only sure path to real and lasting joy is a steep, rugged road marked obedience. Commitment to living a godly life in no way guarantees your marriage will work. Let me repeat that again, because you folks were, were tuned out right then. Commitment to living a godly life in no way guarantees that your marriage will work. Your spouse may simply refuse to cooperate. It may even be that your husband or your wife would respond more warmly to you if you were willing to compromise certain Christian principles. The question to be asked when facing marital difficulties is not what will make the marriage better, but rather what does the Bible say and tell me to do? God's Word takes priority over what I think would best meet my needs. So you have to make a decision, and that decision is a determined decision, and that decision says that I'm not going to believe the devil's lies. See, the devil says, well, you know what? You made a mistake. I, I, even, I even actually read a, a, a baby boomer's book, and in that book, he has a lady, and he actually makes that statement that she married the wrong person. And so, uh, as she was released from that and found a new, she was released into wonderful, glorious ministry. Isn't that wonderful? You see, if I preach that here, in five years, there would nobody be sitting here that's married to the same person. Because you see horizons out there where you're sure that you might have married the wrong person. And that's what the devil says. You've made a mistake. You deserve to be out of this. And, of course, this is couched in religious terms. Uh, and uh, and uh, it goes, this is not who God intended for you to marry. Or we might fit in this little, uh, this little uh, verbiage today. I'm, I'm being verbally abused. See, this is the National Order of Women that made this famous. And National Organization of Women. I'm being verbally abused. What does that mean? Well, that means that he doesn't agree with me. Well, into the real world, dear. Am I getting close to anything this morning? Sure, you folks are really getting quiet. So you have to make a decision. And that decision is, I'm not going to listen to the devil's lies. And I'm not going to allow any person to rob me of my joy in Christ. Regardless of my situation, I had a, a little lady that I pastored in Emmett, Idaho. Her name was Myrtle Mills. And she was a little square-built, solid. Uh, when I was pastoring there, Myrtle was probably... Myrtle tooth and toenail. He hated her going to church. He would uh, he would uh, take her out uh, and uh, take her halfway and then make her get out of the, the truck and walk. He do all he. She told a story that that was unbelievable. And so I said, Well, well, Myrtle, uh, what do you do? She says, When he does that, he said, I bake him a pie. 
I mean, this is unbelievable. They, they don't make folks like this anymore, hardly. She told me story after story. Fred was one of these crusty old foul mouthed, uh, salty critters, and uh, and uh, he was determined that he was going to punish Myrtle for her belief in Christ. Well, Fred took sick. He was in the hospital. I visited him a time or two. He popped in, popped out because he didn't he didn't want nothing to do with our church. He didn't want nothing to do with Myrtle's. God or Myrtle's religion, but Fred had cancer. Cancer has a way of uh, of uh, changing people's outlook on life. One morning at seven o'clock in the morning, there's a knock on my door. I went to the door. It was Myrtle. She said, "Fred wants to talk to you." I said, "Fred wants to talk to me." Right now, he's waiting at the hospital. I got dressed as quick as I could, brushed my teeth, ran up to the hospital, and Fred was ready for God. He was lucid. He was absolutely in his right mind. He was weeping. He was repentant. He was sorry. And I prayed the sinner's prayer with old Fred Mills. And I want to tell you, Fred was gloriously saved. I would say he was probably 70, 72 about then. Gloriously saved. They said in the hospital, the nurses, everyone that dealt with him, Myrtle could hardly believe what had happened to this man. He was totally and gloriously transformed by the power of God. He died. He went ahead and died about a month after that. But I want to tell you that here's a testimony of a woman... She made a decision. Now, it would have been very easy for Myrtle to say many years before this, I made a mistake. I'm out of this. He doesn't appreciate me. He's not sensitive. He abuses me. He does this. He does that. But Myrtle made a decision that nobody was going to rob her of her joy in Christ. Now, we have a couple of ladies sitting right here this morning. They're parallels. One of these is Jay Mayotte. And the others, Juanita Shul. Both of these ladies, I've pastored for quite a while now. And both of these ladies have had almost identical experiences with Myrtle Mills. Both of them have had endless turmoil and opposition and uh, animosity and persecution and uh, emotional turmoil and upheaval by husbands that were less than saints. Matter of fact, both of them were pretty mean critters, I can tell you that. Now, I'm not downing them or their memory if the children are here. Well, God love you. I'm just stating facts. But both of them prayed the sinner's prayer, and both of them responded to Christ because their wives said, Well, <clears throat> this, is, this is the will of God. I'm going to go through this. I'm not going to let anybody rob me of my joy in Christ. I'm not going to turn back. I'm going to keep serving God, and I'm going to stay in this relationship. And both of these men, I believe, are in eternity tonight because these ladies stayed true to the call of God. See, the Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord always. This means even in undesirable situations. And First Corinthians thirteen seven says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, 
endures all things. Love always persecures, uh, 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 perseveres. One of the greatest fallacies this morning in marriage is to feel that my marriage is or that it ought to be made in heaven. And so everything ought to go smooth. But you see, marriages are not made in heaven, folks. Marriages are made on earth. God simply enters into the decisions that you and I make and the commitments that we make. And as He enters into that, then He changes the dimensions of life. So what we're really saying is, I'm not going to give up praying for God to change my situation, but I'm going to be content to serve God and do right if it never changes. That's the issue of the hour. I have a long article on marriages. I'm not going to read the article. I just want to read you some little sound bites out of this article. It's out of a secular magazine. It has some great wisdom. It says, accept the big reality. Accept the big reality. Namely, that staying married is the single most difficult challenge you will ever undertake. Why? Because both you and your spouse are imperfect beings, each no less so than the other. When two imperfect beings join together in an imperfect union and their respective imperfections start to collide, the imperfections begin to multiply. And here's a fact, you are never so imperfect as you are a year after you tie the knot. If you don't believe this, just ask your mate. Another little sound bite. Don't pay too much attention to the children. Now, this is, I know I'm speaking in tongues to this generation, but just listen, will you? See, our generation has been taught that children are God. Well, they're a lot less than God, I'll tell you that. I'm from the old school, will be from the old school when my last breath is drawn. Children need to be seen and not heard most of the time. They need to be under strong hand of authority and discipline a lot. Well, this author is not a preacher. He says children need attention, sure, but not a lot. The more attention they get, the more they want. The more they want, the more insufferable they can become. Why? Well, I would have thought I was reading a preacher there. Over time, and after trying to always be one big happy family, Willie and I came to realize that for the most part, adults should interact with other adults and children should interact with other children. Hallelujah! Amen, brother! There's one thing Willie and I have discovered in 25 years of ups and downs, is that you don't stay married because your marriage in some magical way manages to work. Rather, you stay married because you become determined to make it work. Homes with fathers present go a long way towards solving America's problems. Better is that homes where both father and mother have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and have surrendered in obedience to the will and the purpose of God go a great way to solving society and America's problems. I want every head bowed. I want every eye closed. Happily married, or if not, 
happily ever after. While we're pausing here for a moment, this sermon is in no way meant to condemn those who have undergone the heartbreak and the heartache and the pain of divorce. This sermon is intended to bring us to a perspective of God's view and God's will for every person. Pausing for a moment this morning, there are people here that are not right with God. You've never met Christ as your Savior. Perhaps you're a victim of the disobedience of mothers or fathers in a broken home, and you bear the scars of that. I have good news for you, and that good news is that God loves you, and God can heal the broken heart. He can bring grace and love and forgiveness and salvation to those who will call out to Jesus Christ. While we're pausing for a moment in this service, I'm not asking you to join a church or sign a creed, but I'm asking you to open your heart to the love of God. Christ died for sinners. He shed His blood on Calvary's cross because God loved you so much that He sent His Son to die in your place, shed His blood for your sins. He was buried and raised from the dead the third day. And this morning He stands with outstretched arms and says to you, Come to Me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn of Me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Perhaps you're here this morning, your heart is not right with God, the Holy Spirit is dealing with you. I urge you to respond to what God is saying to you just now and yield to the love of God. I wonder how many people, you're here this morning, you'd say, Pastor Mitchell, I, I'm convicted, I need God, I'm not right with God. Maybe you're backslidden or maybe you've never been born again. You don't really have assurance of sin forgiven, but you're here this morning and God's dealing with you, you'd slip your hand up and say, Pastor, would you pray for me as you change this service to other things? I need God. I need your prayer. Would you slip your hand up right there where you are? Being honest with God. Say, I'm not having any assurance of sins forgiven, but I'd like to have that this morning. Would you pray for me? Would you slip your hand up right where you are? Say, pray for me this morning, Pastor. I desperately need an assurance of the love of God. God bless you, dear. Amen. How many more? You'd slip your hand up there where you're sitting. Say, Pastor, I'm desperate this morning. I'm brokenhearted. Maybe, maybe the, the, the trauma of divorce has laid hold and has shattered your life, broken your heart, disrupted your life. I want to tell you this morning, God is a loving God, and He's graciously reaching out, and He loves you and wants to help you. You'd slip your hand up also and say, Pastor, would you pray for me this morning? My heart's not right. But I want to get it right before you change the service to other things. Would you slip your hand up right there where you're seated, quickly. Left to right, front to back. Jesus loves you. All right, I want to change this invitation for a moment. There are people here this morning, and your approach to marriage, your entire interpretation of life has been less than what it should be, and God has dealt with you. Pastor Johnson's seminars, perhaps. In the film, this morning, as you viewed this excellent ministry of James Dobson, or in the service this morning, God's spoken to you, and He's convicted you. You are saved, you are born again, but you desperately need to put into practice some of the things that have been said, and you haven't been doing that. But this morning, 
You want to make a commitment and you want to make a determined effort. You're going to reach out to God and say, My heart and life is not where it should be in my marriage relationship and my approach, but I want it to be right. I wonder if you'd slip your hand up and hold it. God is dealing with many hearts. Yes, I see hands going up. Or would there be others? Join these. Left to right, from front to back. Jesus is passing this way. You'd say, I, I, need, I need to make a commitment. I need to make a decision. I need to make a statement. I need to make a declaration. And I need to respond to God's love and grace. 